Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. Any of you guys uh, like a list makers, you know, task oriented type people? Me too. I don't, I don't get anything done without them. Uh, but if you're like me and you're one of those people, uh, it's pretty hard when an interruption comes along and interrupts you getting your list done, right? Sometimes it's hard to slow down. Take some time and to remember there's something more we're living for, not just getting our list done. And that's sort of what we want to talk about this morning from the book of Acts. We've got to be open, we've got to be available, ready at a moment's notice to share the gospel when it's, when it's time, when it's time. So uh, we're making our way through the book of Acts, and the theme of Acts is advancing the gospel. And the key verse is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them. They're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit then to be his witnesses to the nations from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and, and beyond. And uh, today we're going to learn a lot from Philip on how to be his witnesses, and not just his witnesses, but effective witnesses for Christ. Uh, Philip is an evangelist. That's how he's described. He's someone who we were introduced to in Acts chapter 6. Remember, he was appointed to a deacon-like position, uh, serving tables. But then uh, persecution comes, and the church is scattered. And they scattered. Uh, uh, we, we, we picked up next. Uh, the church was in Samaria. That's where Philip initially went to Samaria, and he turns out he's, he becomes like the Billy Graham of Samaria. And he's a popular guy, and he's doing this incredible, powerful ministry. People are coming to know Christ, and uh, he's, he has it great up there. And then, but then today, God's actually going to take him from Samaria and call him southwest of Jerusalem. So going from north of Jerusalem to the south of Jerusalem. And the emphasis in our passage is on God's momentum. God's momentum leading and empowering the advance of the gospel. It's not these disciples just going out there and doing it in their own effort. It's God leading and empowering the advancing of the gospel. That's what we're looking at. The momentum to advance the gospel, comes as people, ordinary people, table servers maybe, you know, <laughs> uh, they, like Philip, actually uh, just are sensitive and available to God, to God's mission. If we're going to advance the gospel, we've got to be sensitive to God's leading and available to be used by Him. So let's, look, let's pick it up in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Uh, well, you know what? 
let's go 25, get some context. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now I was talking about the apostles who came and they affirmed Philip's ministry. Uh, but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. I like that. He, just, he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And that's not her name. That's a dynastic title. Uh, so it, Candace is not her, her name. It's a title. Who, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning. As he was re, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was riding, reading the prophet Isaiah. And then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. What was Philip's response? Philip ran up. And he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this, he was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And so the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth. I like that. He opened his mouth, and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. So the first thing we see in our outline, Philip shares the gospel with an Ethiopian, an Ethiopian man. Uh, God calls Philip through an angel to leave a successful ministry in Samaria and go to a desolate place to reach one guy, one man. And at first, Philip doesn't even have an idea of what he's going to be doing. God just says, get up and go. And he says, all right. He does it. I mean, that seems pretty strange, doesn't it? To leave that ministry to go reach one man. I'm sure he probably had to cancel some coffee meetings, don't you think? You know, he's a busy minister up in Samaria. He's probably got to cancel some coffee, minist- coffee meetings, well, probably tea meetings over there. Uh, probably had to cancel some lunch appointments, some speaking engagements, that sort of thing. He could have made excuses, but God, you know, I kind of like it here in Samaria. I want to stay here. I, I don't really understand why you're asking me to go. I like it here in Samaria. It's comfortable, right? People like me here. I have a name here. Instead of making excuses, it says he, he ran. He, he got up and he went and he ran and he opened his mouth and shared the gospel. He didn't, he didn't clam up when the time came to share the gospel. He was available. The whole, the whole, just the, the description of Philip is just like, and this guy was available. He was, he was willing. He, he just, he obeyed God. When God led him to share the gospel, he, he opened his mouth. He wasn't uh, refusing God's will at all. It says he, he, he just went. He did it. And I like that because he's, He's not living for himself. If he's living for himself, he'd say, well, that's a long journey, and I don't really understand why you're calling me to go. 
But he's not living for his story. He's living for God's story. And he's, he's on his toes about how God wants to use him in life. And I think that's a good principle for us to take home from here. Effective witnesses are going to surrender their story to God's story. Effective witnesses surrender their story to God's story. Our stories, remember, only make sense when they're lived in light of God's story. If you want your story to have meaning and purpose and fulfillment, it's only going to come when you actually quit living for your story only and you start living for God's story. And then, wow, your story makes sense and you actually find purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction. That sort of thing. Um, We've got to lay down our stories and get caught up in God's meta-narrative story that's been going on from eternity to eternity. Since we're talking about meta all the time, you guys notice that? Uh, Meta in the social realm, technological realm, they're talking about meta, metaverse. Uh, Everything's virtual. Well, meta, God's meta-narrative story is like this overarching story that our lives are to be a part of, and we're just kind of a blip on the map, you know, in the timeline. Like from creation to, to, to the new creation when, when Christ returns. and We're just this little blip on that timeline. And we can live for our story alone, or we can live for God's big meta-narrative story, the overarching story. And an effective witness is going to do that. And when you do that, you're going to make yourself available to God to be used. Um, if we actually end up living for our story alone, right, and me, my, and mine, and I'm trying to fulfill myself apart from God's story, I'm actually going to lose my own story. So last summer, I'll try to help you make sense of this. Um, last summer, we went through this Bible study at our house called the Engagement Project. Uh, some of you guys were there. Remember that? The Engagement Project. And we talked a lot about how we each have our own little script. We each have a script. Instead of story, they use the word script. We all have a script for our lives, for each day even, how, how we think sh- things should go throughout our day. If you were to read my daughter's script, this is uh, JC's script. This is what her script might say. And I, I, uh, I consulted with her too about this. So uh, it's pretty accurate. Uh, here's what JC's script says. Sleep in until... 1030. Uh, Eat Cocoa Puffs and ice cream for breakfast. After that, go to the zoo and then to the water park and then go play with Autumn, Cito's daughter. No naps and no backing down when mom tries to make me take a nap. Um, Quesadillas for dinner every night. Once dinner's over, we run around the house like a wild person, a crazy person. And uh, we only sleep when our eyes get really, really heavy and refuse to stay open. And when they don't work anymore. Okay? But you never get in bed early. Um, Is that going to work for her? No. See, her script is always getting stepped on. Because mom's script trumps her script. Here's mom's script for JC. Get up early and get ready on time. Eat eggs or yogurt for breakfast, not Cocoa Puffs and ice cream. Or Fruit Loops. 
because that makes her a Fruit Loop. Um, those make her a Fruit Loop. Thank mom for breakfast. Do your schoolwork and like it, even the handwriting part of it. Uh, take a long nap so mom can catch up on everything else. This is mom's perfect list. Do everything with a sweet disposition, you know, like making for a perfect little home. That's my mom's, or that's mom's script, my wife's script. You think, think that's, think that's going to happen? That one got stepped on. Um, here's my script for tomorrow, my day off. Wake up bright and early with tons of energy. Just tons of energy. What am I going to do today, you know? I'm not even tired. Watch the sun come up out the kitchen window as I sip my coffee I have uninterrupted devotional time for exactly one hour while the kids sleep and they don't come out and bug me and say they're hungry. Um, go hunting in the morning, shoot my limit of pheasants. Um, my wife does not send me a picture of water on the basement floor like she did this week. Uh, go fishing in the early afternoon, catch my limit. Go for a late afternoon walk with family at the state park and the temperature is going to be 75 degrees, and the birds are going to be singing, followed by completing my to-do list, and then finish a perfect day sipping a Dr. Pepper and, uh, in my recliner. And I don't get any emergency phone calls to come to the hospital or anything like that. So is that going to work? No. What happens, though, when we try to get our scripts fulfilled? We get grouchy, someone said. <laughs> yeah, we end up frustrated and angry because we're competing with other people's lists. What would, what would solve that? No lists? <laughs> or, yeah, or surrender your script, surrender your story to God's story, right? Um, when we believe the lie that this life is about us, and if we get our scripts fulfilled, the idea that we'll get, if we get our, our scripts fulfilled, then we'll be happy and then we'll be significant and then we'll be satisfied. We're buying into the same exact lie that Eve bought into where it's all about you. It's all about you and God's holding out on you. So you just live your life your way apart from God. And what happens when you do that? You lose out just like Eve did. You lose out on a lot. You, you become manipulative for one, because you're always competing with other people in your household or those around you. Uh, uh, you become self-centered. Uh, if my boss, you get in that mindset, if, if my boss would just give me a raise, if my wife would just do this, if I just had a little more money. You're never really content living for your own story because, again, they get stepped on all the time. Uh, they're ruined. And so if we're so busy living for us that we aren't, actively aware of how God wants to use us at any given moment. Um, we're missing out. So um, we lose when we lose our sensibility to God's script. And uh, those of you who are like me, who, have, who are list makers and your task-oriented people, uh, you really struggle with this. Because we could become so caught up in, in our list and getting things done that we don't actually take time to, uh, to slow down and think about, maybe God wants to interrupt my list. Maybe God wants to interrupt my script for the day. I mean, 
I had that happen last week. I was just getting ready. I told my wife, it was so funny. I told my wife, I said, I feel like something's, it's going to be one of those weeks. Something's just going to happen. And, uh, you know, 20 minutes later, she knew what I was talking about. I sit down in my recliner and then I get a text. Hey, could you come to the hospital? I was like, absolutely. You know, like, but, you know, there's always that inside of you. You're always like, you have that fight, right? Um, And yesterday, I... My, my script is going haywire already because I, I was going to go to Gordon yesterday. And, and then uh, my wife wakes up with a migraine and it's awful and it just debilitates her. And so I'm watching the kids and I'm interrupted there. And then, and then I'm, you know, I'm busy doing that and making breakfast for the kids. And then I'm in the, in the shop playing with the kids. And all the time I'm thinking, man, I should be over in Gordon and I should be working on for today. And nothing was going right. And I look over, and there's my neighbor trying to load this car up on a trailer, and I'm like, oh, not now, you know? But I knew he could probably use some of my tools. And I just took the time to do that, and it was awesome. But So God made me apply this sermon before I preached it. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. But uh, the point is, we avoid what... What gets in the way of our scripts, naturally? Uh, you know, we drive by our neighbor, we see our neighbor needs help, and we just say, you know, hi, how's it going? Hope he doesn't ask me to help. Right? Stuff like that. Uh, opportunities, right? We get stuck up in our scripts so much that we're not looking for opportunities that God might be presenting to us. We're not aware of them. Uh, God's looking for people like Philip who are willing, and they're available. And not just for big things. Not just for big things like like his ministry to the multitudes in Samaria, the Billy Graham of Samaria. Not just for the big things, but he wants us to be available for the small things. Uh, maybe like Philip, with the, he goes from the multitudes to just ministering to an individual. He goes to a one-on-one ministry. And the reality is most effective evangelism and discipleship takes place through what? It's a one-on-one relationship with someone. And so that kind of leads us to our second principle for today is that effective witnesses see every person as someone for whom Christ died. As someone for whom Christ died. I mean, God has such a heart for the individual that he will leave the 99 to go after one. That's the kind of heart our God has. He'll leave 99 to go after one. And, and it doesn't matter who they are, what they look like, what they do. It could be a magician like Simon up in Samaria, right? <laughs> uh, north of Jerusalem. Or it could be this prominent government official to the south of Jerusalem. Look at the difference there between this magician and this government official. And one's north of Samaria, a Samaritan, and one's south. He's an African. He's probably got a different skin color. Who cares? We see everyone as someone for whom Christ died. We see, we, we look at them, not based on their externals, 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, but as someone who's made in the image of God and someone for whom Christ died. The gospel's for everyone. It's for everyone. It's for the nations, and that's what you see here. The gospel going to the African continent for the first time. Isn't that cool? If you see everyone this way, Every social and racial barrier dissolves, and that is critical for advancing the gospel. Those barriers have to come down. And that's something that the book of Acts is teaching us. It's a book of transitions showing how God's program inched 
from predominantly Jewish in Jerusalem. That's where we were for the first several chapters. It's predominantly Jewish, all Jewish in Jerusalem. So then we went to Samaria. And Samaria, what are Samaritans again? They're kind of a mixed Jew and Gentile heritage. So it's like the half Jew, half Gentile. And so, okay, well, that's a little further on the social fringes. But I get it. I get it. You know, and then, and then today we're going to a, a definitely not a Jew, but a Gentile convert. A Gentile convert. So he's still, you know, he's still worshiping the God of Yahweh. He's been to Jerusalem and been worshiping. That's a little further, right? And then the big reveal is going to come in Acts chapter 10 when the gospel goes to a centurion type Roman officer that's a pure Gentile. And it's like mind blowing because the Jews who initially refused or initially, you know, rejected the idea of going to the Gentiles, uh, Peter gets this vision to go to the Gentiles and to this man named Cornelius, and it's like this big breakthrough moment where it's like, whoa, even the Gentiles are part of this thing. So that's, that's what you're seeing here. And, and effective witnesses are, are not going to live by those externals. They're going to see everyone as someone for whom Christ died, even the dirty, rotten, unclean Gentile like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Uh, the person that Philip goes to is this Ethiopian eunuch. And he's evidently a Jewish proselyte, which would mean he's a Gentile, but he's at least one that's converted to Judaism. Uh, he's been through some things. He, he goes to Jerusalem and he worships and he goes back home. I mean, it is possible that he could have been a diaspora Jew that was scattered back in the day. But with the theme of the gospel expansion, it's more apparent that this is one more step between uh, you know, the Samaritan and a pure Gentile, because he's a Gentile, but he's still a convert. You see where this is going? It's just inching us along. And uh, it's, it's, I don't know, it's somewhat reasonable that the, to the Jews that God would include a Gentile convert, at least in the mission. But whatever his exact status is, he's, he's not a pure Gentile. The man had gone from Ethiopia back up to, uh, to Jerusalem. And Ethiopia here would have been this isn't a map of it, but Ethiopia here back in this day would have been like modern-day Sudan and uh, Nubia. That would have been just south of Egypt, so it's a little north of modern-day Ethiopia. But he goes up to Jerusalem to worship, and he's on his way back home, and he's got a chariot. He probably has a royal entourage with him, so he's not alone, even, even though he's being ministered to individually. Um, he's somewhere southwest of Jerusalem, uh, this is where Phil, this is kind of Philip's journey. He goes from Samaria to south of Jerusalem, and he's going to minister to a man down here. Uh, right, right when it gets into like the real deserty part, uh, when there's you know kind of like the last stop for water is before you start going through Egypt, and uh, so he's down here somewhere. And Philip eventually ends up back up here at Caesarea, and this is where we find him later in the Book of Acts. But uh, that's kind of where it's at. Uh, this man is a very influential man uh, going back down to his home country. He had a prominent position there. He's head of the queen's treasury. So he's a, he's a real somebody, isn't he? In his hometown, in his home country, he's a real somebody. He's wealthy. He's wealthy enough to buy a copy of Isaiah. The copies of the scriptures were not cheap. Uh, it cost a pretty penny. 
he's got money. He's probably brought a ton of, I don't know, stuff to sacrifice and give to the Lord in Jerusalem. So he's, a, he's an important man, but when he goes to worship in Israel, here's what he senses. He's a real nobody. Why? Because he's a Gentile and he's a eunuch. Okay, and, and uh, a eunuch just means he was, he was castrated, to be honest with you. He, it just that, they used to castrate to express total commitment to their king and queen. You know, like, uh, he, he doesn't have, oh, I don't know, the, the motivations to sort of steal from the king and queen. You know, he's not going to try and usurp them. He doesn't have a, a heritage. You know, it's, it's just him. So um, that just communicated total commitment and trust to the royalty. And it eliminated most common motives for treachery. And uh, because he was a eunuch, that meant he wouldn't be able to fully participate in Jewish worship at the temple. He couldn't fully participate in, in the worship that he went to in Jerusalem. And so he was prevented from doing a lot of different things things he wanted to do but couldn't do. Uh, Deuteronomy 23.1 forbid men like him to enter the assembly of the Lord. And so in Ethiopia, he, he's somebody special. He's got special privileges. In Israel, he's kind of a nobody. He's a nobody Gentile and he's limited. He's prevented actually from doing certain things. And so he, he's probably, you can imagine, this guy might be going home feeling a little empty. But honestly... That's a good place to be because sometimes we need to feel our emptiness in order to look to the source that can fill us. See, this man, because he's gone to Jerusalem and he's experienced the limitations and restrictions that are upon him, he knows there's something that stands between him and God. Uh, and that's the purpose of the law. A lot of Jews, you know, they didn't see their sin. They didn't see their need of Christ. This man... He sees his he's sin. He sees he falls short of the glory of God because of his condition. And that's a good place to be. And that's the purpose of the law. It's to show people God is perfect and we are not. And so we need a savior, someone to go between. Well, this man right now coming back from Jerusalem, having experienced the limitations of intimacy between him and God, is now ripe for the gospel because he's going to understand Jesus Christ is the one. He's the perfect lamb who came and died for his sins so that he could be reconciled to God. And so um, this man who once felt like a nobody before God with no hope of leaving a legacy uh, is now gonna f- is figuring out through Philip that he's a somebody in Christ. And, and in Christ, he'll have a name that'll last forever, that'll never go away. So Isaiah 56, and I wonder if Philip took him here. But it assures the eunuch that joins himself to the Lord that he will have a memorial in God's house. His name will be there. He'll have a better name than sons or daughters. This guy can't have sons or daughters. But he has a better name that will last forever and not just through you know, physical posterity. Um, he'll have an everlasting name that will never be cut off. He, he, he learns that Jesus Christ was cast out so that he could be cast in. And he can now enter the Holy of Holies by faith in Christ. And he has direct access to God's throne in the heavenly temple. Isn't that cool? 
So you, you try to think about where he was at and how limited he was, and oh, I can't even go in there. I would love to go in there and worship, and I can't because of my condition. Now that Christ has come, I have access to the heavenly temple. I can walk right into the Holy of Holies. I can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. And that's something to rejoice about. And the same is true for every sinner who falls short of the glory of God. Our sin keeps us from God's presence, our, our, our sin condition. But Jesus Christ came and died for our sins to forgive us and reconcile us to himself and give us new life and a new and everlasting name and an everlasting place in his kingdom. So this, this eunuch's not only living now for his own kingdom, but for a better kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. It's pretty neat to think about the things that are going through his mind as he's coming back from Jerusalem. And as he's riding home, again, he's reading this copy of Isaiah he picked up. This is probably a scroll, oh, about as wide as my iPad, maybe a foot or so. And several feet long, he bought this scroll. And he's reading through a chapter, and, and it's not just any chapter, it's Isaiah 53. This is like the chapter of the suffering servant. For Jews, this is like a, today in their synagogues, they'll skip this chapter and they're reading because this is a forbidden chapter because it, it's too Jesus-y. You know? <laughs> Don't go there because it might convince someone Jesus is the Messiah. Well, that's where he's at. And he's like, what is this talking about? Is this, who's this talking about? Is this talking about, the, you know, is the writer writing about himself or somebody else? And, and, and so Philip, he hears him reading this chapter and, uh, he, and the, this guy's reading it aloud. And that was an ancient custom to aid memorization. And Philip just says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how, how could I unless someone guides me? How could I unless someone guides me? And I like that. Verse 31. Every time I read that, in fact, I have, a, I have the, the note right here that I wrote in my Bible. Uh, this world needs Bible teachers. How could I unless someone guides me? When we were going through the book of Acts at my Bible school, Joe Buckley, my teacher, said, this world needs Bible teachers because people need guidance in the Word of God. And uh, I like that. I, liked, I thought I made that a principle today. Effective witnesses uh, develop a working knowledge of the Bible so that they can help guide others into truth. That's why it's important to get to know our Bibles so we can share truth and we can counsel people directly from the Word of God. And you guys know what I mean by a working knowledge, right? A working knowledge of the Bible, you have this thing down. Now you, can, you know where to turn for certain things and struggles that are, you're going through in life. Someone's got a question about this or that at work, and you say, hey, don't you know that in such and such a place, you know, like in this book, you know, the Apostle Paul deals with that? Or, you know, you, you just have a working knowledge of the Bible. You know where to turn for what? That's why it's important to get to know our Bibles so that we can witness more effectively. You see, Philip, it says he only began with Isaiah 53. And he went on from there to preach Christ to him. And so he's probably turning, where's the first sacrifice offered? Genesis chapter 3, right? He might have turned to Leviticus after that. Maybe he went to Mount Moriah. It's like there, there's a number of places he could have turned to. But uh, Philip helps him understand the gospel. And uh, then we see... The next, the next thing we see here is his willingness to get baptized. And that expresses his positive response to belief in Christ. So now he understands, okay, Jesus 
is the suffering servant. He's the Lamb of God who's come to pay for my sins. And apparently Philip said, if you believe, let's get baptized. He's like, what? You know, like, like, what prevents me from getting baptized? You see his mindset? Let's, let's read this. Uh, verse 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water. What prevents me from getting baptized? So he had all these preventions in Judaism, right? He's prevented from doing things he wants to do. Not anymore. Not anymore. Nothing's prevented him from being baptized. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, and Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Snatched him away, took him by force. Uh, the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. So Philip just disappears. Uh, Philip found himself then at Azotus, like, how did I get here? That's about 20 miles north of there. And as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he comes to Caesarea. So this is like, we're looking at a bunch of conversion stories right now in Acts, and this is a pretty awesome one, isn't it? Uh, This man believes, and he's like, I'm in. I believe. You see, I want to get baptized because I believe. And a, a lot of people... Uh, and, and tend to put, up their, put off their baptisms for some reason. I just don't get it. Because once I got it, I was like, man, I'm in. Get me baptized. I can't wait. That's like the first command. Go and make disciples, baptizing them. Uh, um, I think it's a shame when we put off baptism because we just never got around to it. But that's like the first step, guys. That's the big first step that we need to take. And that is actually a way of witnessing. Effective witnesses take water baptism seriously because it is witnessing. It's saying to the world, I have believed, and I want to make that known, and I want to take this seriously. Uh, Baptism is part of the Great Commission. Baptism can reinforce salvation by faith. Because look at what Philip said to him. He said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. So baptism is actually preconditioned by faith, meaning ideally someone's not going to get baptized if they really don't believe. Right? So that's, this is a way to actually reinforce that we're saved by grace through faith. I like that. In a world that typically rejects Christ, then uh, baptism is a way of identifying with Christ. It's saying I have received Christ as my Savior and I want to follow Him. It expresses that they're serious about Christ. Um, This is a way of publicly identifying. Historically, baptism has been known as a way of identifying with someone, some group, or some message. Well, we're identifying with Christ in the church and the gospel message. And uh, it's a great picture, by the way, of our, um, our dying to sin, going under, and being raised to new life in Christ. Okay, Or the Spirit being poured out on someone. So it's it's a pretty neat way to identify with Christ. But here, look at this. Uh, as they go down into the water and Philip baptizes him, something unique happens as he comes up out of the water. <laughs> Philip's gone. He disappears. And, and, and that makes it clearer still that God is the one at work here. He's the one advancing the gospel. The momentum, the empowerment is his. And I just love that. The Lord snatches Philip away and he translates him to Azotus. 
Again, probably 20 miles away. It's like a mini, mini rapture. In fact, that's the same word that you see in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. When we're talking about the church being caught up, it's the same word here. He was snatched. He was caught up. He was taken by force. That's what Christ is going to do with us. It's going to happen instantaneously, miraculously, and it's going to happen in the blink of an eye. Just boom, gone. Right? <laughs> I love it. I think it's cool. It's a little picture of what's to come. And uh, it honestly reminds me of, uh, have, have any of you guys seen that movie Jumper? Jumper, I don't know, 10 years ago maybe. Well, this guy can like, if, if this kid has a picture of a place in the world, as long as he sees it, he can be there. He can jump to it. It's kind of neat. He's translated there. But he has to see it no matter where. Like he can get a picture of the Roman Colosseum and if he, just, he can just translate himself there. Well, that's kind of like... What's going on here? He's, he's here one second, there the next. I just think it's cool. Um, wouldn't it be funny, though, like the next time I go to baptize somebody um, to preach on this, Acts chapter 8 and this whole translation thing, and then uh, as soon as they go under, like I lift them up with my hand, but I go under too, and I just don't come up for a while. And they look around like, where'd he go? <laughs> I just think that would be hilarious but I won't do it. I just think it'd be funny. Um, In all seriousness, though, baptism is an important first step, and if you're interested in getting baptized, let's get it done. Let's just get it done. And uh, if you're one of those who's waited years to do it for some reason, uh, I've got some real inspirational words for you. Uh, Nike says, just do it. Just do it. Or what about Larry the Cable Guy? He would say, get her done. Eh? Don't wait. Don't wait. In sum, this whole encounter, though, uh, from start to finish, from verse 26 to 40, is emphasizing God is at work. God is the one who advances the gospel. He's the one setting up a divine opportunity for Philip uh, to reach an influential man who's going to end up influencing others in his home country. And uh, that's encouraging, isn't it? to know that God is at work. God is at work, and he is at work today using everyday people just like Philip. And my challenge as we leave here today is just uh, prayerfully consider those whom the Lord might use you to reach, those people that uh, he's going to lay on your heart, that you're around, some neighbors, some friends, some coworkers, something like that, and then just pray for some divine opportunities to reach out to them. Because evangelism, being an effective witness, requires supernatural activity. And, and, and if it does, we've got to be getting on our knees. We've got to be praying for the Lord to use us and give us those opportunities. It's a supernatural work requiring supernatural power, supernatural activity. And that means we've got to be people of prayer. So pray that Uh, whoever is on your list, pray that like the eunuch, they would just have open and receptive hearts to the word. They'd be ready and willing to listen. Uh, Pray that like Philip, we would be faithful and obedient. We'd be ready to share at a moment's notice. I think that's a good application for us. Pretty practical. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I want to be in on what God's doing on our day. Don't In our day. I want to be in on it, don't you? Like, I want to be a part of what he's doing. I want to be a part of advancing the gospel. 
And there's just nothing like it, like being the person that God uses to bring that good news of forgiveness of sins and, and new life in Christ and a new destiny. It's pretty amazing. But uh, hey, we've got to expect some of those moments to come when we least expect it. Even when, our, when we've got our longest list that we've had for a while, that's probably the day when you're going to have your opportunity. And so we've got to learn to slow our rolls sometimes and really think about and be aware of how God wants to use us at any given moment so that we can minister to others. Thank you.